And then often we would do little extras, like do contests and giveaways for their audience, basically give them useful, actionable content that they could share with their followers, which they loved. And we loved because their followers joined social nature to claim the product sample or enter the giveaway. And so that was how we initially seeded probably about the first 100,000 members of our community. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency. On today's episode, we're speaking with Analia Krebs, founder and CEO of Social Nature, where she helps better brands reach new audiences and helps mainstream consumers find better products. Hi, everyone. My name is Analia Krebs, and I am the founder and CEO of a company called Social Nature. And I'm a mission-driven entrepreneur, and my mission is really to make green mainstream. And this is the journey that I've been on for the past 10 years and is really probably my life's work. So uh, continuing along that along that pathway for many more years to come. But Social Nature is a company I founded in 2015. And so with Social Nature, we've been at it for about six years, trying to make green mainstream by reducing the barriers that a lot of people have to making greener choices which is price, education, and trust. And so we've been focused on reducing those barriers to make better, greener, healthier, more sustainable choices, more accessible to more people. And uh, I'm excited to be on uh, this podcast with you today, Gage. And yeah, excited to share more. Awesome. And thanks for joining me. I was excited to get you on the show after I heard about you from another event that I was attending and you walked through the idea of social nature and it got me excited for some of the brands we work with. So I wanted to get you on the show and and share your story and talk a little bit more about how social nature works in case any of our listeners out there are looking to reach new audiences and drive consumer trial. So before we dive in more into social nature though, I'd love to chat a little bit more about your background because as you said, this is making green mainstream is your life's work. And I know that before Social Nature, you've also founded and run in some other companies and worked in organic for a little while. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got started on this journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really right out of university. I was I was 25 years old and have always been driven to make a big impact in this world and align uh, my work with my values. And So I noticed at the time when this was 11 years ago now that there was a gap in the marketplace. There was no directory or resource available online that was focused on educating consumers about green, sustainable businesses. And so I set about creating one and that was my first venture called thechange.com. And I've always been attracted to building online businesses only because it can help reach that many more people. And I'm not technical at all, but I always was able to find great technical partners to work with me and realize that vision. So I was very lucky in that regard. And as a result, was able to to reach people right across North America and was able to feature and profile many green businesses. And so with the change, 
what I learned about that experience is it's one thing to promote green businesses. It's another to actually engage and influence consumers to take an action, whether that's working for the green business, whether that's becoming a consumer for that green business, whether that's becoming an influencer for that green business. That's really where we start to move the needle. And so thechange.com ended up evolving into my second business, Ethical Deal, which really helped the consumer take action. Interesting. And start to participate in the change. (laughs) And the change was really, the vision behind the change was to advance the sustainability movement on a city by city basis across North America. And so even though the, the business model morphed into what media called a green Groupon, it, Ethical Deal was really a way for people to start discovering the greener choices in their city. We made it easy by introducing greener choices at 50% off using the popular daily deal model and reduced that price barrier for people. And then we had a lot of fun educating consumers about all the different options in your city. I mean, we had such an array of options. We had everything from, of course, the vegan restaurants to the organic spas. And then we introduced naturopaths into the mix and personal trainers. I even found a eco-friendly dry cleaner, (laughs) which I didn't even know existed. So it was, I always have just as much fun finding out about all these different options as my community does. And so this ethical deal grew into yeah quite a successful business we were the leading green daily deal site across north america and i ended up selling that company in 2015 then to move on from helping introduce people to the greener choices in their city to introducing people to the greener choices in their home with my latest company social nature and so it's really been this interesting evolution over the past 10 years or so just continuing to the way I see it, continue to take steps closer and closer to that mission and really just trying to challenge not only my team, but also the community to continue to leverage the influence that they have in helping build a better world, because it really does start with with us and the individual, I believe. Yeah, that's amazing. I love how the um, each step build upon itself and float into the other. I didn't realize that the change.com kind of Turn, morphed into the ethical deal. That's really cool. But you were mentioning that some of the press called it the green Groupon. I'm curious, how did that fit into your kind of evolution of the change.com into ethical deal? Did you see what Groupon was doing and decided there was possibly a better way? Or were you inspired by their model and, and kind of intentionally pushed that way? Or was it just more of an organic like evolution based on what consumers were asking you for? Bit of all of the above. So I'll dive deeper into that story. So it actually, interestingly enough, started with with the companies that were profiled on the change, and I was promoting them, telling their story. And yet, when I asked the the customers that were profiled on the change, "Hey, you know, can you pay a monthly membership fee to continue me and supporting the promotion of your company?" They said, "We love what you've done, <laughs> but what really matters is." customers through my door. I will pay you for customers through my door, buying my products and services all day long. But as lovely of a job as you are doing promoting my business and helping me tell my green story, I have Facebook for that. I have my website for that. I have many other channels. And that was really where 
where I was 25, my first business. <laughs> yeah. And so learned the lesson of, oh, should have probably asked the customer before I launched, you know, what they would have paid for. But fair enough, was getting that feedback then. And so I turned that question around on them at the time and said, okay, great. Well, what would you, what would you pay for? And and they gave me the answer, send me customers through my doors. And and these were, again, vegan restaurants, organic spas, eco-friendly clothing companies that I had featured on the change. And so it was a very natural evolution to then send customers through their doors. And I, I will definitely admit that I was inspired by the Groupon Daily Deal model to actually realize how I would do that specifically, because I, I was stumped, stumped before that. I was thinking, okay, do I need to, you know, how am I going to get consumers through through all these doors? And I don't want to have warehouses with products. And, you know, I was 25. I had student debt. I had, <laughs> and so I was just really thinking, you know, kind of scrappy, how do I make this happen? And so that same summer, Groupon launched in my hometown of Vancouver, BC, Canada. And I got that first daily deal in my inbox. And I was like, yes. This is the how. And it also really helped a lot of the, the barriers that I know people have when making greener choices, which is price. Let's be real. This is right. Often the first thing that comes to mind, I, I would rather can't afford to buy this greener choice. And so I loved how the 50% off for 24 hours, that flash sale really, really opened up and made it easy for people to try something new. And in my case, a greener choice. And then we really built in, you know, the educational aspect of it so that people were also really excited about the brand and the company that we were introducing them to. We helped them tell their tell their story, their sustainability story. And then we did take a bit of a different approach overall to, to how Groupon operated. We really focused on smaller deals. So we would often sell out at 500 people or I think our biggest deal may have been 5,000 people. And yet we worked with the company that we were featuring multiple times throughout the year because we wanted to ensure that when our community made the purchase that they could get an appointment or that they could, you know, go into the restaurant and be seated because sometimes these events just, you know, caused a lineup outside of these yeah. businesses and, and it or may have impacted the service that the business was able to provide. So we were conscientious of that. And as a result, we were able to have a high retention rate of, of not only our community members, but also the merchants that we work to promote. Nice. That's awesome. One of the criticisms I kept hearing from business owner friends or just from the news about Groupon model too, was that they were kind of dictating the terms with the businesses to some degree, like saying, you've got to give us X discount in order for this thing to work. But then the companies would just be bleeding money off of those things and with no guarantee of whether or not those customers were going to come back in the door. So was yeah. there a way that you found to make sure that the ethical deal was ethical both ways? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the number one way was really in that cap. That's usually where the merch, like mer companies can do flash sales and they can afford to do 50% off if it's within a budget, within 100 people or 200 people or whatever their budget might afford yeah. them. But it, it was the unlimited... I'm sure there was that famous cupcake story in the news, right? Where they sold so many vouchers and they just, they went under because they couldn't afford to keep up with the demand. So that was the number one way that we helped make it a successful experience, both in terms of their budget, 
and the consumer experience. And then, yeah, I mean, we would negotiate different different terms and different offers. So, yeah, I mean, I think of depending on who you talk to, you you might get different. <laughs> there might be different opinions, but and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're talking to a venture capitalist, they might they might think, you know, oh, she's not you know aggressive enough with the growth or whatever. But if you talk to someone else, <laughs> yeah. will appreciate the sustainable business approach, and so. For me, ethical deal was actually bootstrapped. I didn't take on any investors. And I think what that taught me very early on was how important. I mean, I, it's, you hear it being focused on the customer and, and customer obsession and all these things. But when you're bootstrapped and you, all you're relying on is customers coming back to you, you tend to take a different approach <laughs> that thinks yeah, about, true. you know, how I would get this customer back and and what would make them happy and and you anticipate some of those potential concerns more and and make sure that it is a win-win so that they come back to you two or three times a year. So that I took that approach right away, not only because that feels right to me, but also because my business <laughs> was was dependent on it. And so I think, I mean I I'm a huge advocate for at least once in your life, if you're a serial entrepreneur, you know, do take a bootstrapped approach or at least for a couple of years before you take on external capital, just to, just to make you think about things, make you think about how to really build the business for the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm often frustrated by how average kind of small mom and pop businesses or whatever are compared against these venture capital funded businesses because those businesses don't have the pressure of even making any money for their first five or 10 years often. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. people just keep pouring more and more money into it because they know at some point once they turn on their sponsorship or turn on their ads or turn on whatever, that it'll make tons of money, but they're okay with it bleeding money for a long time. But that's a totally different animal from a company that's like you're saying, bootstrap, self-funded and growing slowly because literally everything you do has to somehow turn some sort of a profit or at least break even for you to even stay in business. So yeah, I think customers and venture firms and like the, I don't know, even business magazines get so caught up in these stories of how much money companies have raised, but it's rare the story of like how a company is run and sustains itself off of no investment, but just off of running a good business. That story very, very rarely gets told. So I appreciate that you mentioned that you're, as well. You're right on with that. People should learn how to bootstrap before they take money because that way you're actually building a smart business and then the money should fuel the growth, but instead of money just fueling a bad business model, I guess. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And I think the pandemic this last year actually helped turn the conversation a little bit around that, around celebrating businesses who had either extra money in the bank or strong cash flow or certainly certain whole sectors of businesses just wouldn't you know were affected and I'm not I'm not referring to the restaurant industry and and those those businesses that were just deeply affected by covid and without any control over that but for the for the technology businesses that through a pandemic I know our investors I've actually taken on money now with social nature my most recent business and they were like, hey, you know, Analia, I'm so glad you're prudent on cash management because, you know, not only did you survive through COVID, but you, but your business is growing through COVID. And, you know, you, you just consistently really manage your cash well. And so 
when things like a pandemic happens and you know even our industry was frozen for about 3 to 4 months as as businesses in the consumer packaged goods industry were figuring out their supply chain and all of that yeah for sure every marketing spend was on hold but we were able to grow throughout that time and still make some smart moves because my bootstrap background has gotten me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you learned how to do it right. <laughs> you know, more, more conservative on that front. Yeah, that's smart. So one question before we dive further into or deeper into social nature. I'm curious with those kind of deal sites like the ethical deal Groupon, et cetera. And I would almost lump some other things like Kickstarter in with this. The idea behind those often is you get exposure to a new set of customers that in theory, if you do a good job, those customers or consumers will keep coming back. Like that's the whole idea. You kind of lose money in the short term to to gain a whole set of, of new customers that will be profitable moving forward. But of course, when you're building the site that just drives that initial traffic, you probably don't have an engine to track whether or not customers came back to that business afterwards. But did you at least hear anecdotally maybe how those investments worked out for your ethical deal customers? Was there a specific mm. percentage of those deal hunters that would typically come back afterwards that you've found? Our best measure of how it was working was whether the merchant would come back to us. And so it was it was not that they necessarily always had the traceability on their end to tell us what percentage of people came back in after that initial voucher was redeemed just because they don't they don't have those trackable systems in place but it was hey my business is growing i my i am getting customers coming back and we would always some businesses were were more established than others anybody any of these businesses that had you know that asked for the consumer's details and put it into a crm service based businesses like the spas and things like that they would be able to track but restaurants less so so it depended on the vertical, but our best foot forward around that was really, you know, is that restaurant coming back to us and using ethical deal services again? And then and then we did an annual survey with our community as well, which is you know, big proponent of just continuing to talk to your community and ask them, what are you sticking with? What was your favorite deal purchased? The other measure that we looked at a lot was our referral system with ethical deal. And so we often saw that our community would buy a deal, share the deal with their friends on social media, and then we were able to track if their friends purchased the same deal. And so just as powerful as repeat purchase is, I think, a friend referring you to a business, bringing that friend in for, for that business. So we looked at really, I guess, three measures. How often does the merchant do business with us, which was two to three times a year? How often does our community go back and visit the business? That was very vertical specific, (laughs) depending on if it was service or product. And then referral rate. How often and how likely would our community members be to refer a friend to either ethical deal or to that business that they just purchased a deal for? And so we saw the referrals, 50% of our community was acquired by our community when I was running ethical deal. Wow. Okay. Nice. And because I was bootstrapped again, I didn't have huge marketing budgets like some of the other sites had to acquire members. And so it also came down to me providing a really good service for my community. 
which was an interesting array of, of ethical deals educating people about why each deal was ethical. We had criteria and we would show how is this good for the planet? How is this good for animals? How is this good for the community? And so people could kind of look at that. And then we also launched a blog. And that was a really successful strategy for us, both in terms of community engagement and community acquisition, because we ended up writing, for example, here's five reasons to eat more plants, and then pairing that blog article with 50% off at a vegan restaurant. And so community members would actually stay subscribed to social nature, sorry, to ethical deal, because they would get that additional educational value, rather than subscribing to what they call these aggregator websites that started popping up (laughs) over the years, just to get the deal, they would stick with ethical deal because they also got the blog when they subscribed directly to us. So that was that was helpful. And we found it actually did have a positive impact on sales as well. And we ranked for SEO. And so it also yeah. contributed to new signups for our community. Yeah, that's brilliant. I know that content is super important for SEO, but often that's just to get people to the site. And then there's not always a direct link to go buy something afterwards, it's just get them on site. So it's smart that you were able to find a way to tie those two things together in, in such a seamless mm-hmm. manner that added mm-hmm. value and st- it wasn't... It wasn't like a trick to get the consumer hooked. It added value for them. So that's brilliant. Nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So let's dive into social nature a little bit. It seems like the pattern with these, at least the, the change.com and ethical deal and social nature, a lot of it's the concept behind all of them is about driving consumers towards more sustainable choices and helping those more sustainable businesses reach new customers. So it's got this nice theme to it. So I love that you've carried that through all of them. Mm-hmm. So after mm-hmm. you sold Ethical Deal, how did the idea of social nature come to be or, or what was the story behind launching that? And so the evolution continued. So it was definitely inspired yeah. by Ethical Deal in our community. So we always do an annual community survey. We always did an annual community survey with Ethical Deal. And one of the questions is, what more would you like to see? What kind of deals would you like to see? Can we do anything better? And so a theme that started coming up was, love that you're introducing me to the greener choices in in my city, but what about the greener choices that I use in my everyday life, like food, cleaning products, beauty products, and so forth. And so we had been mostly focused on local service providers and not as focused on manufacturers and brands and products. But that comment from the community had me start to look into that. And I started calling up different brands and talked about the ethical deal concept. We had at the time hundreds of thousands of ethical shoppers that, you know, wanted to try your product. So let's, let's make a deal happen. And the consistent response I was getting from these manufacturers of food and health products were, would love to offer 50% off to you, but I can't. The retailers that I sell to uh, would would take issue with that. And Mm, so I I can't offer that steep of a deal. I just can't. It's competing with my retailers who are my primary customer in this case in terms of who's actually buying the most products from me. And so that was something that, you know, I I didn't know about until I spoke to the customer. And and so I was kind of feeling a little defeated at the time, I remember, and it was almost kind of going to hang up and think about plan B on that front. But I still remember one of them said, but I can give it away for free. 
But as they took the time to explain that to me, it was really, if we give it away for free, we're actually driving sales to the retailer. And so we're no longer in competition with the retailer. We are a marketing service that helps boost retail sales. And, and as they, you know, they said, we have big sampling budgets. I mean, sampling is what we do in the food and health and beverage space, the CPG space. That is the number one most effective way to drive a sale is sampling, whether it's on the street corner or at the event or in the store. This is how we do things. And so that was, that was a good education for me. And, and so then I just needed to think about how do I make money off free? <laughs> yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had something, I was like, great, I can get healthy, sustainable products to my community, but I do need to think about the business model. And that's really what actually inspired me to sell Ethical Deal and start start anew because Ethical Deal's brand was really tied to that kind of deal a day model, as well as our entire platform that we had built, I mean, it was more or less e-commerce, right? We were making money from the consumer paying for a deal. Yeah. And here when, with free, the model had to change completely. It was going to be free for consumers, but we needed to think about how to add value to to the food and health brands. So rather than doing a pivot and you know redoing the website, yeah. redoing the brand, I was like, okay, let's sell and then and then start anew. So that's how social nature was Brilliant. was born. And now we have six hundred thousand members who have joined social nature to make the switch to better for you products. And we work with over five hundred food and health brands across North America who use us for product sampling. And we've added value because as I said, I had to need to figure out how to make money off free. We added value around our targeting capabilities. So because we're digital, we can use all the data that we collect from how community members interact with the products on our platform to what they tell us about themselves, where they shop, where they live, what they're looking for. We even collect what their health goals are. <laughs> so we really we have some really good behavioral data and along those lines. And so it all adds up to about 50 data points at minimum per member that we have. And then we give that as really to the food and health brand, how do you want to, who do you want to target? And so the most common ways that, that our customers target is usually by location, second by the retailers that they shop at, and then third, generally by demographics or category usage. And so that targeting capability they don't have when they're doing in-store demos or when they're handing out sampling at events or even when they're putting samples in a box and shipping it in a subscription box or something like that, that you just can't get down to that fine geo-targeted detail. And so that's that's one of the big areas where we add value. And then the second area is really in the consumer feedback that we can share with yeah. the food and health brands. Nice. Yeah, that feedback part. And, you know, obviously the targeting is powerful too, because they could just go sample in a retail store where they already stocked their products, but you're not getting any of that customer data. People stop by and taste it and then maybe say a thing or two and, and walk off, and maybe grab a coupon or something, but you're not capturing any info from them. So your model adds that value of you get that same kind of experience of being able to target people around where your product is already being sold. But now you get the upfront 
like you can target exactly who you want instead of just anyone who walks into the store and you can capture information from them afterwards. You got it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then recently um, with more of our customers also selling products online, we've actually given the, the capability for them to get email addresses, opt-in email addresses from people who have tried their products, as well as to get online reviews to add to their websites so that they can also kind of have this experiential product sampling experience, but then also be able to build their online businesses at the same time. So that's nice. a unique feature as well that a lot of our customers appreciate, especially now. Great. So with Ethical Deal, you were talking about your blog that blogs and referrals that grew a lot of your consumer base there. How are you growing the consumer base for social nature? It sounds like you've got a pretty big group there. Are you continuing to actively grow that? Is it just kind of organic? Are you doing the blog again? <laughs> are you doing some targeting <laughs> yourself with some yeah. ads? Like, how are you growing that? Yeah, a couple things we carried forward, a couple things we did new. So in the beginning, and I recommend this for all brands building communities, is to really find your people who are going to become your your influencers, your advocates. And so with social nature, I did two things. One, I built relationships with about a hundred different eco-friendly bloggers. And that was this was my starting community strategy and asked them, you know, to promote the product samples that we had available on our website with their audience. And then often we would do little extras like do contests and giveaways for their audience, basically give them useful, actionable content that they could share with their followers, which they loved. And we loved because their followers joined social nature to claim the product sample or enter the giveaway. And so that was how we initially seeded probably about the first 100,000 members of our community. And then from there, the referral friend program that Ethical Deal had, I, I knew it was such a, it's so powerful for all mission-based brands, really, because people love to talk about good stuff and love to share good stuff. And this is kind of my one of my theses, and it's certainly I've seen it proven over and over again. And so every mission-based brand, highly recommend, however you can, to get people referring their friends and, and sharing, making it so easy for them to share your products or services. And so with Social Nature, we have a refer friend program where when you apply to try a product, if you get into the campaign, then right away it pops up, hey, you like this product? Do you have any other insert product category, plant-based friends or <laughs> gluten-free friends or whatever product category it is? Share. And then they're going to share an invitation to their friends, which a large percentage of our community do. And we see signups through that. So that continues to be an ongoing kind of evergreen <laughs> community growth strategy. And then reviews. So with Social Nature, this, this was kind of ethical deal, didn't have reviews built into the platform. But since Social Nature is product-based and because it's something we provide to back to the food and health brands that we work with, we also show up for many different search terms because we have over a thousand products on our site. Wow. So there's a lot of really distinct, we've got plant-based pizza, we've got, um, yeah. gosh, Soil. vegan mascara, just yeah. not, not the most, there's some search terms that are popular than others, but the long tail 
specific search terms that have less competition over time can add up and can drive traffic. And so we compete quite effectively on the long tail, more specific search terms. And because we have so many product reviews on the site, we get a fair amount of organic traffic as people are looking for reviews on (laughs) plant-based pizza. There are some people that are looking for that perhaps, or reviews on vegan mascara, or where to buy vegan mascara, or discounts on vegan mascara. These are the types of search terms that we optimize for across the products. And so that's a major traffic driver. We've done a little bit of paid acquisition, but If a client has a very specific request in a very specific city for a very specific retailer and we just don't have enough community members to to drive them, then we'll consider investing for a paid ad spend. But that's really about the only time that we do acquisition through paid channels. We are big on retargeting. So we definitely have observed, you know, sometimes people just get busy. They come to your site, they get distracted, they don't sign up or whatever happens. And so just to just to be able to show up again when they're browsing on Instagram or Facebook or the web and remind them about your brand, we found that to be an effective strategy as well. So that's how we continue to grow social nature and we'll be about a million members by um, end of this year. Nice. Wow. That's amazing. And then obviously keep growing from there too. (laughs) Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. We're active in Canada and the USA. So we're headquartered in Canada, but Interestingly enough, most of our, well, interestingly and intentionally, our community, the majority of our community, about 70% is in the USA and most of our clients are there as well. It is naturally a bigger market, of course, but we're cross-border, but predominantly in the US. Okay, nice. So that's super helpful. So you've been up and running for a little while now. How are you finding brands get the best use out of social nature? Is there certain types of products, certain types of deals or certain types of targeting or anything else like that that you could offer up so that if a brand is listening and they want to get on social nature, they know kind of where they fit in and and how to design their campaign? Yeah, sure. Love campaign strategy. So yes, our most active customer is a customer that is in about five, at least 500 stores. So maybe your maybe your national Whole Foods We have done campaigns for Sprouts as well, which is technically 350 stores. But so if you're basically national in one of the the top specialty retailers like Sprouts or Whole Foods, or if you're regional in Walmart or Kroger or Albertsons, one of the bigger retailers, and you have at least that kind of 300 or 500 store footprint, then you're a really good candidate to use social nature. And so the top reason here is really to find that retailer-specific, geolocated shopper that you can introduce your product to through the social nature platform and then actually drive them into the store. So our number one use case is um, not sending out a physical product directly to people's homes, as a lot of other sampling companies do, but actually to bring the consumer into the store, which is why we're so focused on that targeting and especially the the location-based targeting. So For example, we'll work with, let's say, an ice cream brand that just launched at Sprouts. And so they'll ask us, you know, hey, we have a keto ice cream. So we're looking for people interested in keto. We're looking for people who say that they regularly shop at Sprouts and live near our locations. Here's my distribution list. Okay. And then we'll recruit however many shoppers they would like us to recruit. Those shoppers will opt in, assuming they meet the criteria, to the product sample. They'll answer a couple questions. And then if they're a match, 
they will get a free trial coupon sent to them and they will then use that coupon at a Sprouts location near them, pick up the keto ice cream, go back home, and then our system will start to remind them to write a review and then they'll share their experience online. And so that keto ice cream brand just had, you know, a retailer specific campaign to support their launch at Sprouts. They just got retailer specific shopper insights from the surveys that we did throughout the sampling program. And they got reviews, which they can now even syndicate to sprouts.com to have display on not only their website, but also Sprouts website to continue to raise awareness and sell their product. So our most common use case is really these, these key account focused campaigns. Sometimes the larger brands that have more distribution, maybe they're in 10,000 plus stores, they'll do more retailer agnostic campaigns, but they'll still be very interested in driving the shopper into those stores because of the ROI, really. I mean, it's a different experience to have. I mean, if you think about getting a box and getting a product in the box, you might love the product, but you're probably not going to check out where to buy online. You're just going to go about your day and hope you find it at a grocery store. But to actually get the consumer going to a store near them that they regularly shop at, finding your product on the shelf, and sometimes you have to hunt for it, (laughs) and remembering that's where I found that product. And if I have, if I like it, I mean, it's the grocery store I shop at, so I'll be there next week (laughs) to buy it again. So that's really a main point of difference and, and where our customers see a lot of value. So new store launches or new store listings, new product launches to really drive that in-store discovery and trial. And then all the insights and the reviews, it's the cherry on top. Nice. And what's great about that is a lot of retailers are looking for those velocity numbers with new products to decide whether to keep running those products or to buy more products from that brand. So by pointing people to the store, you're also driving that velocity at retail as well, instead of just like you said, shipping them a product, which then they may or may not go buy it again at that retailer. So that makes sense. And it's really hard for all those beverages, perishable. I mean, shipping can work well for certain categories perhaps, but I mean, there's a whole... Yeah, ice cream, (laughs) beverages, anything heavy. I mean, those options are a lot harder for them. So uh, a lot of our customers are are within that perishable category. So it would add to the brand's cost to ship individual packages to all those new consumers. But then it's also environmental impact, of course, of shipping individual items versus just sending a truck to a retail store. So so that's great. It's better environmentally, more cost effective for the brand. and improves the relationship with the retailer at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I naturally went that pathway just almost instinctively because of my experience with ethical deal where I was so used to for lack of, I mean, I've read blog posts now about online to offline commerce and, you know, things I was just doing that I I didn't have a name for or whatever, but you know, it's this thing now, but I naturally took that same approach of online to offline with the product sampling and, we pioneered digital demos six years ago, and now it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> now Create, you hear this term. You created a new industry. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so the brands, are you finding that they're primarily trying to promote a brand new product to existing customers or like customers, or are they trying to reach a new demographic maybe that they haven't reached with existing products? Mm-hmm. With existing products, they're usually trying to reach new new shoppers, new customers. 
just to build their, their household penetration, their market share. And then with new products, our advice to brands, and they often take us up on this, is to build loyalty with those shoppers that have tried your product before, your core line. So usually we start, you know, what's your core line? Great, let's drive new shoppers. People are new to your brand. We can we can figure that out through the targeting. And then once they've had an experience with your winning product, your core product line that's proven, you've got a new product launch coming up, let's retarget them. And let's introduce that person that's tried your product once from your core line to the new new product. It's a great second touch point, keeps your brand top of mind for them. And really at that point, it's starting to feel a little bit almost like an ambassador advocate relationship where they're part of your brand family and they're starting to discover more of your product. So yeah, we often do retargeting for new products as well. Okay. And that retargeting would be, hey, you tried this product from this brand for free. Try some of these other products also for free? Or is it more at that point, like a discount or some other kind of method? Is it just kind of repeat the process? Yeah, it can be it can be either. Good point. Yeah, it can be either. So if the brand wants sometimes the brand wants reviews for the new products and in that case we ask that they give it for free in exchange for a review, but if they're just looking to drive sales and and brand awareness, then oftentimes a follow-up discount can do the trick. Great. That's awesome. Well, I think that's helpful. It should help people understand how to engage. So I'm curious, though, with 600,000 moving to a million consumers and you collecting all this data, have you found any really interesting kind of consumer behavior or consumer interests or anything like that that you've been tracking over your six years that you can kind of give people some insights on where Needle is moving? Mm-hmm. That's a big question. We do we do webinars all year round with deep dives on this, but I'll try to surface some some headlines and for anyone that's listening, if you check us out on LinkedIn and you follow us there, we announce new free webinars usually once a quarter, doing like an hour-long deep dive on some of our latest consumer trends and, and so forth. Right. So some of the most interesting shifts have really been over the last year, I have to say, in terms of consumer, like big, significant changes, certainly driven by COVID-19. And what we've seen overall is health is first. Health is so top of mind for consumers. And once you put health first, that it's very hard to kind of make that slip down to the bottom of your priority list again. Now people are being more proactive than ever before. And that is a lasting change. And so we've seen, I mean, sales of any products that have help with immunity (laughs) skyrocket. Certainly a lot of supplement companies have done very well with that being top of mind. But even other other trends like people exercising more, right? People cooking at home more. These are all ways that people are being more proactive with their health. And when it's Canada uh, right now is is still a process of of getting vaccinated. So we're, we're still, many of us are still under lockdown, but once it is safe to do so, Yes, of course, people will be going to restaurants more and so forth. But some of these fundamental shifts, when we surveyed our community recently in February, all of them said, yes, I'm going to cook at home more. Yes, I'm going to be eating breakfast at home more. Breakfast in itself is a category that's, you know, has seen a lot more attention over the last year. And within the breakfast space, a lot more plant-based options are coming forward. So whether it's cheeses or yogurts or milks or meats, 
the breakfast category has seen a lot of innovation there. And so, and along the plant-based line, what we've seen is it's certainly not just the vegans and vegetarians that are consuming plant-based. And within our community, and people might find this surprising because we we do just focus on better for you products, you would think we would have a higher density of vegans or vegetarians, but only 9% oh, wow. of our community identifies as vegan specifically, more vegetarian certainly, but the majority identify as flexitarian. And yet 73% actively purchase plant-based substitutes. So certainly that aspect has gone quite mainstream. And so one of the recommendations that we shared in our, in our latest webinar that had a plant-based food spotlight was when you're packaging your products, if you're a plant-based producer, when you go to the grocery store, often you see vegan on the package and that's the main kind of call out. But today's consumer, they're just looking for plant-based and that's my maybe what they identify with more in terms of the majority of consumers. That's influenced now how some of our customers label their packaging and what terms they lead with. Even if it's vegan, plant-based is the major call out on the packaging just to really speak to that flexitarian that's doing it for health reasons primarily. And then really kind of tying into some of the nuances that we see coming up now more is an interest in the sustainability and the supply chain and the environmental aspects. So starting to tell a little bit more of that story as well, especially as it relates to plant-based can be helpful. And then of course, in packaging, we're seeing more consumers demand better packaging from the products that they purchase. There's been so much innovation in the nutritional kind of functional food space in the last couple of years. And so there's a lot of great products on the market around that often they're still so packaged. (laughs) And so, you know, you've got this beautiful inside wrapped in this ugly outside, for lack of better words, when you think about the impact on the planet. And so consumers are, we're a savvy bunch. And so that's why I'm so passionate about kind of these consumer-driven business models, because I feel like at Social Nature, I have 600,000 plus people backing me in, in this mission <laughs> yeah, to totally. help bring green more and more mainstream and continue to kind of up the status quo through the reviews. Like we've actually had consumers who who have shared that in their review. Hey, loved your product, loved the taste, loved the nutritional profile, would love to see you make this change on your packaging. And what's amazing is our clients take that to heart. And often I'll hear from brand managers and, and marketing managers, amazing. This is the data point I need. Nice. To talk to my R and D team, <laughs> great, yeah, and that's a win on our in our books, yeah. So that's brilliant, that's amazing. I love it. So that's super helpful. I think it will give brands some insight, but also help them understand how they can tap into social nature and and reach some new audiences. Maybe just to quickly wrap up, is there anything exciting or anything coming up in the future other than growing from six hundred thousand to a million? Do you have any other? cool things in the works that we should know about? Yeah, one thing I want to give a plug to because it's a free resource. And so I want to spread the word is our new product launchpad. This is something that we developed around COVID and have continued to keep free for the industry as we recognize that a lot of emerging brands didn't have a way to get their new exposure for their new products. A lot of retailers were just naturally focused on promoting the essential products on the shelf and just didn't have space 
for anything new. And that that was really challenging for emerging brands and still is. I'm still hearing from a lot of emerging brands that it's not yet open season for new products on shelves yet. Yeah. So Launchpad is a place where you can list your new innovation. You'll get in front of our 600,000 plus community. You can add an online discount if you would like, which will help drive traffic to your website. And you'll also be able to ask a couple questions to our community members to get some insights on why are people interested in your new product. And we hope that by asking those questions, that'll give you some collateral to go to the retail buyer and you know make the case that your product should be on the shelf. So that's a free resource. Brands can just email us at, at marketing at socialnature.com or they can just go to our website. I can provide you with a link to include in your content to share with anyone that wants to take advantage of that. So we've had about 500 brands sign up. So it's growing. And then, yeah, I mean, as we look ahead into, into the next year, we're excited to kind of build even more community on the platform. You know, there's a lot of products and different ways to engage with products, whether it's sampling or discounts or reviews on the platform. And we've done a really good job there. The next stage is kind of thinking back to my ethical deal days of, of the blog and you know, how can we create more of a community feeling where people really want to stick around and chat with each other and help each other because they're all on this path of, hey, I want to lead a better, healthier, more sustainable life. And so I think it's time for us to start enabling those connections on the platform. So yeah. excited for that. Nice, especially since the name is Social Nature. You would, that makes right. total, play, total sense to build up the social side. <laughs> really? Yeah, you're totally right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to share a little bit more about your path and social nature with us. It's super exciting. I recently signed up and I've been kind of seeing how the whole system works so I can refer some of our brand clients over to you as well. But so appreciate what you do and helping make green mainstream. Keep doing amazing things. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gage. I appreciate you providing this resource to your followers and um, looking forward to tuning into more future episodes. Sounds great. Cheers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Analia or her company, go to socialnature.com or check out the links in our show notes for information about the Launchpad program. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve@modernspecies.com and learn about our new online community for brand leaders at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.